0: Welcome listeners to today's episode of the Authority Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network. I'm Ross Romano and today I'm pleased to welcome Elizabeth Jorgensen back to the podcast as our first two-time guest along with her mom and co-author Nancy. Today we are talking about the middle grade and young adult biography, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete, which Elizabeth and Nancy wrote in collaboration with Gwen. Uh, the book is really designed to be introduced to students, uh, discussed in the classroom. There's a lot of lessons and goal setting tips and other things included. And we're going to chat about all of that. And we're also going to talk about some of the lessons that we all can really take from it. Elizabeth and Nancy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: Good to be here.
0: So the one place I wanted to start was you recently co-authored an article for School Rubric that came out around the same time as the book was published and introduced it. And that really was focused on the importance of students having heroes that they can look to. And I thought it's a great place to start is define in your words, what makes a hero? What are you talking about when you're referring to the heroes that students need to have? Nancy, let's start with you.
2: Sure. I think a hero is just an everyday person who has accomplished something extraordinary. And it was important to us to show Gwen as a hero who had failures, but also took some risks and had some big dreams and some big goals. And it, you know, struggled to get to her ultimate goal. So people can relate to a hero and see that their own foibles are even in the very most successful people.
0: Yeah. And part of that, being a hero is that hero's journey that we would cover and there's that's relevant to this is Gwen is a Olympian gold medalist but she was not a prodigy right she was always talented in sports but worked hard you know as far as I can tell as far as physical attributes she's not six foot eight, (laughs) somebody who who you would look at her and say, this is a normal person, looks like anybody else and works like anybody else can, which I think is, of course, super relevant to how students or anybody reading the book can find some of the lessons pertinent, right? There's some people who are heroes to many or uh, who are inspiring, but it's really hard to replicate what they did. I mean, it's hard to replicate this anyway, but there is a path in whatever your chosen field is. But Elizabeth, let's talk about that a little bit. Who is Gwen? What are the broad strokes of her kind of journey from being a young athlete to where she eventually ended up being an Olympian?
1: Yeah, like you were saying, she wasn't a prodigy. She was always a good athlete, but in no way did we think when she was in elementary, middle, high school, even college, that she would be an Olympian, much less the gold medal Olympian, like number one in the world. But I think what makes her successful is that she dedicates herself to a process that she knows is going to be fruitful. And then she also reaches out to other people and she listens to them. She seeks out feedback and then applies that feedback in meaningful ways. And she's always looking at her competitors and saying, what are they doing? How are they having success? And then how can I use that piece of knowledge to better myself? She's a really hard worker. She's dedicated. She's persistent. She's all of the things that you would think a person at the top of their field would be.
0: And it's perhaps not, given the fact that it wasn't until adulthood that the idea of competing in the triathlon really came onto her radar and she had been a swimmer she had been a track athlete maybe that makes this less surprising but I was not aware that The U.S. had never had a male or female gold medalist in the triathlon before. It was a little surprising because these are all sports that Americans participate in, right? It's not one of these sports that we've never really heard of And we say, oh, well, that's not something we really compete in here. I mean, we certainly have a lot of medalists in swimming and in track and field and in cycling, but was there an infrastructure even that she was going into? What was the recruitment process like to get
2: involved? There was a recruiter and her name was Barb Lindquist from USA Triathlon. And as you alluded to, the Americans haven't been dominant in this field. And maybe it's because, yes, Americans swim and bike and run, but it's really challenging to -hmm. to put together those three and to be good in all three. And Gwen was a good swimmer and she ran in, in college and USA Triathlon noticed that she had those two abilities, talents. And they approached her and she said, I don't even own a bike. I mean, she had a high school bike, but she is not a cyclist. And they said, no problem. We'll send you a bike and we'll teach you and we'll find you a coach. And so we kind of learned along with Gwen, she did not know what triathlon was. She thought they were talking about Ironman. And she said, no, I can't do that. I can't do eight hours. And they said, no, 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 this is two hour Olympic distance," and. She was learning what the sport was as she was learning how to compete. And we went along for the ride. There were, every time we went to a race, there was something new to learn. And you talk about the three disciplines in triathlon. In addition to those three, there's the transition where you have to get from one sport to the other and it's all timed. And then one day I was talking with Gwen's running coach and he said, Well, what about the next discipline? And he said, That's the mental game. She's got some of the others under control, but she hasn't even tapped her mental game. So there's all these different sports and approaches that combine into one race.
0: One of the things actually going toward the end of the book, that there's a letter from Gwen to the readers about learning about their own potential. And she has these three Overarching lessons: It's practice, core principles, emphasize recovery, and show gratitude. And in her case, I think the way it's written is, particularly the recovery part, very specific to athletics. Ultimately, we can pull a lot out of this for everyone. And related to what we were just talking about, there are a few of the principles that I like a lot. And one of them is emphasize and capitalize on your strengths. Right? There's also one that's about improving your areas of weakness. But I think that so many times as kids, as students, as even adults, we are so directed to worry about our weaknesses and focus on them that we don't always have a lot of mind space to think about what are our strengths, what are we good at? And the triathlon is a perfect illustration of this to say, one, this is my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Gwen's first love and passion was swimming. She was really dedicated to swimming. She came to track in high school. I think it seems like running ended up eventually becoming her strongest <laughs> discipline, even more in the swimming, but the cycling was something that she really had no experience with at all, but they all work together. The better you can get at any one of them, it helps you to be a better triathlete overall. So yes, you have to be at least at a certain level of cycling ability, but if you spend all your time worrying about, this is my weakness, I have to do this. You may not say, but I'm really good at these others. If I can get a little better at them, then I'm better, I'm I'm better still. And that applies in so many areas of life, right? That we, If we're thinking about well-rounded capabilities and how each of our skills and competencies and relationships work in collaboration with one another, that we should be spending more time emphasizing and capitalizing on our strengths and thinking about how can I get even better at the thing that I'm good at? How can I get even better at the thing that I already love versus worrying too much about the other things. That It's a good perspective, I guess. Elizabeth, how do you think about that relating to other types of endeavors?
1: Well, yeah, I think about my classroom, right? And if I just tell the kids everything that they did wrong in their paper, they're going to shut down. Why even try? Everything I do is terrible. I'm awful at semicolons and commas and whatever. But if I say, wow, this metaphor gave me goosebumps, then the kid starts to think, oh, I'm really good at metaphors. And then they start trying more and more, and they're taking greater risks. And then, like you were alluding to, then maybe they start to really enjoy metaphor writing and then they lean into it. And then they're like talking to their partner about, well, maybe have you considered adding a metaphor? Because then they think they're the metaphor king. And you can see how fostering what they're already good at can then build into other areas.
2: I think in Gwen's case, it was also a matter of confidence. She came to this sport. She was not confident about her bike and just kind of overall being a professional athlete when a few months earlier, she was an accountant doing corporate taxes. She lacked confidence. And one thing her coach taught her was to write down three things every day that she did well and to emphasize the positive. And then she would get to a race. And she would go back and read those daily affirmations of these three things. I did well, all these different days. And it built her up and gave her confidence in the areas that maybe she was feeling a little hesitant. All that success gave her confidence. I think it was Germany when she was early in her career. And she said, mom, I'm just working on the swim right now. My coach says, we're just going to work on the swim. And then she explained to me that if she could master the swim portion in open water she would be ahead for the bike and it would give her a better start in the bike. And she said, so the next thing we're going to work on is my bike. And if I can get really good at the bike, then that will put me ahead for the run and hopefully win the race. But I think that's applicable too. If you can master one thing, it will give you a head start on the next.
0: You mentioned the positive affirmations, and there was a quote that was shared in Forward. And listen, some listeners may be familiar. The Forward was written by Rich Roll, who is an author of a book called Finding Ultra, and he has a podcast. So some of our listeners may know him, but there's a quote there is power in what you tell yourself. The quote comes from Gwen, and that's about that positivity. And it's also the through line in a lot of these things around intentionality and around saying, okay, positivity is not naivety, right? But it's saying intentionally, let me really think critically about the things that I'm doing well, the things I know I can do and reinforce that to myself so that my mind is not clouded by the areas where I'm feeling less confident and less certain. And it takes that because in an endeavor like this, um, it's a long-term process. It's something that you have to be totally self-motivated. Like so many things we do in life, it's really how much do you want to achieve this thing? Because there's nobody else that can really want to achieve it for you. And you have to keep reminding yourself of how you're going to get there, what the positive steps are that you're taking, because there's something every day that you did a little bit better than what you did before and that gets you a little bit closer to your goal. What about that positivity? What do you think makes something that a reader, particularly if we're thinking about middle grades to high school, prime time for lack of confidence, lack of certainty around what we can do, who we are, feeling comfortable in our own skin, and also the prime period of having a lot of external inputs. That may be telling us something about ourselves that ultimately as adults, we know that we kind of have to make those decisions for ourselves. Who am I? What can I do? What do I want to do? But when you're going through adolescence, there's a lot coming at you and there's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe it, let's talk to the teachers that are listening. They can help students to kind of practically implement that learning and say, here's what we want to do around this positivity. There is power in what we tell ourselves about ourselves. And here is maybe what that might look like. Elizabeth, do you want to take that one?
1: Yeah. In the book, Gwen writes letters to her former self telling her middle grade self, like the things that she wants that little girl to know, kind of like what you're saying that it's going to be difficult, and you're going to be disappointed. But you have things that you can control. And part of that is your mindset, your outlook, part of it is your process, your daily habits. And knowing that if you do all the little things right, that good things will come and maybe not right away, and maybe not for a few years. But, you know, keep at it and know that These years are hard and we've all been through them, but it does get easier. What were you thinking, mom?
2: I think there are a lot of lessons in the book that we present as the way Gwen ran her life to, to achieve this success, but we're hoping that anyone, even kids, will extrapolate out of that and say, she did that. That's a really good idea. In a more concrete way, in our teacher guide, we actually have a worksheet on goal setting. And you don't need the worksheet. All you need is a piece of paper or a computer and just set it up and every day write down three things. But that's the key is that every day you do it. You don't wait till the end of the week and then think, oh, I can't think of even one thing I did this week. It's just the discipline of finding something, even if it's just I got up on time today or I made up my bed or I "I asked my
1: teacher a question. I collaborated with a classmate. I was a productive member of my group. Right.
0: And speaking of those letters to her younger self, there's a lesson in there with a lot of them, which is the only difference is to try. Because sometimes the letters will almost read as in contrast with what Gwen was doing at the time. The letter will write to herself and say, I know you're not feeling confident. I know you're uncertain. I know you're unsure. And yet, What she is doing is trying a new thing and doing this new thing. Right. And so it shows to me as a reader, okay, yeah, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. Or, or, you know, you you don't always have to know or you don't always have to feel super confident. But if you try, you never know what you might achieve. If you try a new thing, the worst that can happen is it doesn't turn out to be your thing. But maybe you learn something about yourself that leads you in another direction. But you may find out that you're really good at it. You really like it. And I think that's a really good illustration to see those in the middle of the chapters, because sometimes even as I was reading through it, I'd say, oh, this is interesting because what I'm reading about here seems like somebody who's not afraid to go out and try new things, but it's the same thing that everybody feels, right? (laughs) To say, I don't know, I like this, or I know I'm good at this. I don't know what that is. How do you think some of that, knowing what you know now, prepared Gwen for the success that she achieved later?
1: people always ask mom, did she raise an Olympian? How do you raise an Olympic champion? And that it's a very common thing to think that she was raised to be this way. Mm-hmm. But that is not at all how I felt like we were raised. We were raised to have some balance. Gwen was obsessed with swimming, but mom insisted that she still play an instrument. And so She was in the school orchestra. She was in the community orchestra, the Milwaukee Youth Symphony, and then also the focus on academics. It wasn't just put all of your focus on to athletics. It was, you need to be a well-rounded person who can do more than swim.
2: And I think getting back to your question about setbacks and failures and things that don't go your way. I read a long time ago that valedictorians, high school valedictorians have a A huge dropout rate in college because everything's always been easy for them. And then they get to college where everybody's smart and the classes are harder. And I think that applies to Gwen. When you get to the Olympic level, when you're an elite athlete, everything is hard. Nutrition and recovery and international travel and just so many things. Drug testing, just the stress of being tested for drugs after every high-level race but she was prepared because all along it wasn't easy. And she had, and she always had to find some way to get through whatever she was struggling with in swimming and then in running and then on the bike. And so she was prepared for dealing with not always adversity, but at least situations.
0: That's a generalizable lesson, right? That we kind of all have to find those things that we're working through adversity and challenges because if things are too easy, eventually, you're going to match up against somebody who's just as good as you are or better, whether that's in a profession and academics and athletics, whatever. And it really is a good lesson to get there. And, you know, right to the point of raising an Olympic champion, what I took out of it was, had you tried to raise an Olympic champion, you would not have. Because what you probably would have done in that case was to say, let's put all of our time and resources and everything into swimming. And in all likelihood... Winning a gold medal in swimming is a whole different thing. And that probably is not the way it would have worked out versus saying, it kind of reminds me of those overnight and overnight success doesn't happen overnight thing. Right. Even though one may have never been planning on triathlon and came to that later everything that was happening was all preparation for it. Again, and it's, and it's almost that if you were to write, <laughs> there is one part of the story that if you were to write it as a fictional story, you may, you would definitely choose accountant to be the job that, <laughs> that somebody would come from. It's the perfect job to say you're doing this you know, desk job and now you're going to go to the Olympics and nobody else would have said yeah, this seems like a natural next step for you. But (laughs) if you believe that you have what it takes, uh, but that takes having struggled before because otherwise we probably never would have taken that journey.
2: Right, not only would we have been emphasizing the wrong sport because that's not the one that panned out for her, but if we had emphasized swimming, she would have missed out on things like violin, which maybe you wouldn't at first think that would contribute to her athletic success, but it did. Just her academic work and her accounting. Now that she's got this gold medal, she's an influencer and she's an in-demand speaker and so all those other skills working together in a group as accountants do I didn't realize that till she became an accountant but they're actually it's actually a group process and the academic study of learning how to speak well and how to present yourself that's all part of it too it's not just swim bike run it's being a person who can stand up and communicate with others and influence people through the power that you have
0: is there anything that as a parent like thinking back to that because I, I think there's this balance that you had to try to achieve between encouraging and rewarding focused goal setting like clearly we have a, a child here who's very motivated and very focused on swimming and that's a good thing right? <laughs> we're not forcing you to do that but also wanting to have that balance of the well-rounded development is there anything that you know now about how everything went that you would have thought about differently and not something you would have done differently, but said, oh, I was really worried about this and I shouldn't have worried about that. It didn't turn out <laughs> to be a big deal or <laughs> those kind of things, because these are the challenges that every parent is probably going to think about. Every child is going to be different, but it's okay. We want to, I want to get you to have goals and to be focused, but I also want you to do different things, right? To not all be one thing, but it's hard to strike that balance. And so what has the, I guess, perspective of time granted you in that regard?
2: Yeah. Looking back, I did not need to reinforce goal setting. And I never even thought about it because Gwen was so focused and she just knew everything she wanted to do. She advocated for herself. I would be on the way to violin practice with her. And she'd say, mom, if you're going to make me do this violin lesson, then you have to take me to the YMCA for my swim practice. And so I never once thought I better reward this goal setting because it was more of a struggle to get her to do the other things. I do wish that I had realized just how she uses the word obsessed. She says she was obsessed with swimming. And I wish I had known then how much she tied her own self-image into swimming she says now a bad race, she would think she was a bad person. And I didn't know that then. And I might've looked around for a way to help her not be so tied into performance. But other than that, I just thought I was just deterred because I'm a musician and I taught choir for 30 years. I felt like I knew the value in music and I was just committed to making sure that Elizabeth and Gwen did both a sport I knew the value of sport as well and we wanted him to do a sport and to do music and I just decided I'm going to be the adult here and I'm going to insist that she do more than just sport and of course academics that was always that was our number one push do your spelling list when you come home and get your science project done and there too that was not a problem because Gwen knew if the spelling wasn't done then she could not go to swimming and if she hadn't practiced violin, then she was gonna be late for swim practice. So I had a little leverage there to get in the things that I thought were important.
1: And you also encourage social interactions, encouraging Gwen to go to dances, to hang out at the movies, to be a kid.
2: Right, right. and her answer was always, mom, I am having fun. All my friends are in the pool. And I, <laughs> I accepted that. <laughs>
0: Elizabeth, I wanted to ask you about, so going back to some of these core principles, there's one that I'm certain is applicable to our listeners here, and it is surround yourself with talented, positive people. In your own personal regard, you're not only a teacher, but you're an award-winning teacher, you're an author in multiple genres, right? You're doing things beyond just the basics, which requires... It's part of the communities you cultivate, right? The people you know, the people you surround yourself with, people who will lift you up and push you into those opportunities and be there along the way, just as the story of this book is. But it's not always easy, right? Because it's not always the people around you. This can go in both directions. <laughs> Sometimes you you have to intentionally seek out those people or recognize when there's people that are around you that maybe aren't having this impact on you. What's your perspective on this principle and how a peer of yours an educator listening may try to put this one into practice.
1: Yeah. When Gwen, after the first Olympics, didn't go the way that she had hoped. She looked at her competitors who were having success and said, you know, what are they doing that I'm not? And one of the things that she noticed is that they put themselves in a daily performance environment where every day they went to practice and they were surrounded by other triathletes that could push them every day, that could hold them accountable every day. We kind of have that at school, right? We come to school and we have other professionals that are around us and making really intentional choices with the conversations that we have. We know that some people are more positive than others and cultivating those positive relationships. But personally, I'm thinking of one of the professional collaborations that's been best for me has happened outside of my building. I got wound up in Korean poetry. And the people at the Shaejong Cultural Society have, like you said, encouraged me to go and speak at conferences, have nurtured my article writing and publishing, have hooked me up with other poetry experts to learn from, to collaborate with. And it goes both ways, right? I contribute to them, they contribute to me. And I know if I need something, they're like one phone call away. And all I have to do is say, I'm struggling with this. Do you have an idea? It's really been the growth that I've seen in myself because of this relationship that I've formed. It's astronomical. I could never put a value on it. And it's something that happened organically. Mom, you're very familiar with this.
2: Right, and I just think you see the good in people and you see the possibilities in these opportunities that come up and I think not everybody does that. For myself, I might look at some of these opportunities you've been presented with and I might have thought I'm just really too busy right now or that's going to take so much time or I have to drive all the way to Chicago. But you- You see the potential in some of these quirky things that come up and you think, well, what does it hurt? So I'm going to drive to Chicago and see what it's like. And I think that's opened up because you've been open to that, to people who maybe are kind of quirky and projects that are kind of unusual. You've been rewarded with a lot of opportunity to grow and to contribute.
1: And these are the things that I tell my students, that we never know where opportunities are going to take us. But if we keep putting our best foot forward, if we keep seeing the positive in these situations, good things will come. And I cannot predict what those good things are going to be. But I know if I keep showing up and doing good work with good people, it's going to blow my expectations out of the water.
0: Right. And yeah, when I think about the positive people in this regard, it's not just happy, cheerful, optimistic people in general that's good. But it's people who are specifically optimistic and positive about you, right? People who are paying attention to you, who are reinforcing positivity to you and helping you achieve something, which is what we all do need to find because then it's, oh, uh, did somebody introduce me to something that I didn't realize about myself or an opportunity that I otherwise wouldn't have known about or that accountability piece that you mentioned. Taking out Maybe a direct supervisor who has certain needs to keep you accountable. People aren't going to hold one another accountable if they don't care about one another. So it's not just about some loose definition of positivity, but it really is finding the right people to surround yourself that will help you achieve those goals. Of course, it's something that we would also want to instill in our students to be this type of person and to seek these type of people. And sometimes it takes a longer time to get there, but it's an important lesson that students look forward to what is their future and understanding how those decisions that I make are important to that, just as anything else is. And to trying to find that type of a community. And the other principle I highlighted, three of them was, is control the controllables, (laughs) which is important to all of this. And that's a really important one for students to grasp onto. I think it goes hand in hand in a lot of ways with the emphasize and capitalize on your strengths. But it's saying if something's completely out of my control, I have to really be cognizant of how much mental energy I am putting on that because it can overwhelm everything else and I can't do anything about it. But if I can control the things that are within my control, I actually can get a lot done and achieve a lot or design kind of my own pathway here. And so just thinking about this as we're considering how this may be used as a classroom resource, what might that lesson look like in a, let's say a middle grades classroom to say, we're going to learn about today's controllables. And here's what that kind of means.
1: We only have the minutes in front of us, right? We've got, 84 minutes in this chunk of time, and we can choose to be distracted by our device or by the person next to us, or we can choose to focus in on the task. The controllables are a process.
2: Right. I'm thinking about kids who are auditioning, say, for the lead in the musical or for a spot in the honors choir. So you can't control what your competition is And you can't control what might happen in the middle of your audition. The fire alarm might go off or the piano might be out of tune. So you have to control your own preparation and work on intonation and maybe find a voice teacher and put in daily practice and make yourself the best that you can be. And then put yourself in the situation. And if someone else just has more natural talent or maybe more physical maturity in their voice than you do, that's the reality of it. But you prepare yourself to face that.
0: I do want to go to these other keys to learning about one's own potential. So we talked about some of the core principles and the next one was emphasize recovery. And the thing that stands out about this and the way it is articulated for an athlete, it's very similar to the goal setting piece, is the specificity. An important lesson here is it's very clear to understand, okay, here's what I'm recovering from, here's what I need to recover to be ready for, and here's what I need to do. I need to get a specific number of hours of sleep. I need to eat a specific diet, I need to do these specific things, I need to avoid these other things. There's good lessons in there for particularly teachers, I think, to really design what recovery for them looks like when you're feeling burnt out, you're feeling overwhelmed, right? And I think a lot of times that element is missing and that's where we get to the point of unrecoverable burnout, right? Where we're looking for time away from the thing, but we're really not recovering We're just on idle over here for a while and then coming right back to it because we're not necessarily thinking really specifically about what does recovery look like and how might that lesson, I think, be applied specifically to our listeners who have any number of things they may need to recover from in their day to day, but what it really looks like to design a recovery plan and then to emphasize that.
2: When I was teaching choir, I also produced the musical. And it was very long days, sometimes until 11 at night when we were in the middle of the actual production run. And leading up to that, I had my own choir rehearsals and dance rehearsals. And then we would hire a costume designer and the costume designer would show up on Saturday morning at eight and take as much help as he could get, hemming costumes and whatever. And I always felt like I had to be there. And if he was in my department and I had hired him, I had to be present And I came to the realization that, no, I don't. I don't have to be there to sew somebody's hem on their dress. I hired him to do that. So I think it's setting boundaries. And even in those days when you are working long hours, if you can carve out a niche where you don't have to be there and you can just recover a little bit with some time for yourself, some quiet time, maybe a little extra sleep. I also think talking about middle school kids, that that's kind of the age when they start to want to stay up till midnight and come in the next morning to school and they're too tired to function. Maybe they skip breakfast because they got up too late and they just had to run for the bus. So you're right. It's applicable to teachers, but I also think this middle grade YA audience defining their routines and what helps them to function at their best.
0: Yeah. And it's something that if we're talking about athletics in particular, right, that too often these are lessons that would be super helpful to the youth. Right? We don't start to think about them until you get a little older and recovery becomes a little harder. And it's, oh, but now I need to really, uh, I need to watch my diet or I need to get some rest or I need to do these things. But it's really about, I think, understanding what you're aiming for and exactly what it um, same thing with setting the goals, right? Whether it's for athletic achievements or for academics or for a profession that you want to get into or any other kind of endeavor to say, okay, let me think about exactly what do I need to do to get there? There's even specificity outlined in the book as far as packing to go to the competition. Pack three to five of this. Pack exact. It's about saying, Okay. This is how I am ready, then I'm not expending additional mental resources on thinking about while I'm doing it. I have a plan. I'm not going to forget anything. I'm not going to have to go back later and realize, oh, I did that wrong. (laughs) And I know that I'm exactly ready for what I'm supposed to be doing. And realistically, whereas I think a lot of people may think about folks who are very specific in that way and precise as is that it's rigid and it's inflexible but in reality it's a lot easier to adapt from a specific plan than it is from no plan right because you can always say all right i packed five pairs of socks and really i needed six but if you have no idea (laughs) you may say well i don't know let me yeah i have a whole suitcase full but another important piece and something that can be practiced directly by educators can certainly be taught to students and it's not only about that final act, which is writing a thank you note, telling somebody that you appreciate what they did for you. But it's even just the reflection of thinking about that, which gives us a much better understanding of how we achieve what we achieve. Sitting down and saying, okay, what did I accomplish? Who was around me? How did they help me? How did it happen? Now I really have a clear idea of what it took to achieve that and how I might achieve it again, or how I might help somebody else achieve it. Because I took the time To appreciate, like we talked about earlier, surround the people you surround yourself with. And now I know how to do the next thing that I want to do or how to do that again, because I understand who I was able to rely on to help me do that. I understand what I'm grateful for because I know what happened here. (laughs) What more might you say about this lesson?
1: I ask my students to write an essay about an educator that's made a difference in their lives. And like you're saying, they reflect back on that coach that they had in fifth grade that helped them with their free throws. Or they think about the guidance counselor that sat with them during that really difficult emotional time. Or the school resource officer who taught them a valuable lesson. They write the essay and then they give a copy of it to the person that they wrote about. And the kids will say that writing it is powerful, but what's even better is sharing it with the person that they wrote about and then hearing the response that comes back. Just that expression of, I thought they knew. How could my fifth grade teacher not know the difference she made in my life? And it's like, Mm -hmm. people don't. They don't know unless you take time to tell them. And then it changes the life of not only the person who receives the gratitude, but then also the student who is expressing that gratitude.
2: I think for Gwen and for any athlete or anyone who practices this, it keeps an ego in check. Not every athlete is humble. Gwen has remained very humble. And I think part of the reason is that she does acknowledge that she couldn't have done it alone. She could only have done it with help from family and coaches and her husband and USA Triathlon, her peers, her competitors. And so That keeps her grounded, I think. And in being grounded, then she can achieve more because she doesn't think, well, I did this all on my own and now I have to do something else. I can turn to other people and they can help me.
0: There's a phenomenon I call retrofitting genius to your successes that I think is evident. A lot of times when ultra successful people kind of write about their story and their success and it's clear that they weren't necessarily thinking about it as it was happening and now they're looking back and this piece really is missing right and a lot of times we see these people who are super super successful in one thing and then they struggle to replicate that success they're really successful running founding and running one company and they aren't as with the next one or whatever the case may be and a lot of times i think this is what's missing is they weren't Really reflecting on thinking about the people that were around them or the circumstances, the things that helped them to be successful. And they think it was all just them. And now they're trying to do the next thing and they're not going back to tap into those same resources. Or you're not, from a self serving perspective as an individual, the more that you are able to express your gratitude to people, the more they're going to be motivated to help you again. Because they, number one, they can see, oh, oh, they really found that helpful. Okay. Well, if that was helpful to them, then let me help them some more. And also they just feel good about having helped somebody who's appreciative. But yeah, it certainly is about telling them the story of what they were able to do for you, because so many of us don't hear that. Same reason why I'm a big advocate of schools, really engaging in conversation and storytelling about their successes, because as a teacher, you're going day to day, you're really busy, you're thinking about the micro pieces and this assessment and that test and this lesson, and you're not necessarily having a lot of time to think about, oh, look at all these things we achieved, (laughs) look at all these good things we did, right? And just even talking about it and having everybody have a chance to share and to express who was involved in that and what they did really gives you a better perspective. So as we as we close up here, I'm going to ask you probably the hardest question of the entire thing, which is going to be if each of you could deliver one takeaway that you would want an educator to take from this. We'll start with Elizabeth on this one. What's the final takeaway that you would share?
1: As an English teacher, I want kids to read a book and enjoy it. I want them to open a page and Forget about everything else that's going on. I want them to see some of themselves in the character, or I want them to be inspired by the character. I think that that for me would make my, it would just make me so happy if young adults, if middle grade students picked up this book and
2: enjoyed it. Excellent. That's a good one. And I think after raising an Olympian, I want teachers to know that, You can't mold someone into something that they're not, but you can help them become the very best person that they are. And with a combination of encouragement and support, balanced with some discipline and high expectations, you can give every kid the opportunity to really find themselves, find their own talents, find their strengths, and and build on those strengths. And they will come out to be the very best version of themselves. And you won't raise 30 Olympians in your class of 30, but you will raise 30 great kids who are just themselves.
0: That's excellent. I think on my end, it's just, if we continue to recognize and reinforce the strengths in each person, it'll eventually lead us all to something we didn't even know existed. Right. The longer we go in life, the more our perspective opens to what's out there, what's available. You could take the clear illustration here of somebody who was a really Passionate, talented swimmer who whose sister was nice enough to say, Hey, you're a good athlete, maybe you should try running, who eventually found a completely different sport because it was like, okay, well, if you're good at this thing, maybe you'll be good at this other thing and maybe be good at this. But that could be anything. That could be different jobs, professions, anything out there to say, look, if we just keep building on the things that we love or that we're really good at, we'll keep learning about new things that are out there and new things that we can really succeed with. And it's something that I think any educator can do if they have that in mind to say, let's focus on strengths first and reinforcing those and building upon those. And it's something that would just instill so much confidence and positive feeling in students. So we're going to put the information in the show notes about the book and where to find it. You can purchase the book on Amazon, but there's also a small bookstore that's selling autographed copies. So we'll put a link to that below. There's also some additional resources from the authors for teachers to pick up if you want to use the book in your classroom and a variety of other information down there in the show notes. So please check that out. Also do subscribe to the Authority Podcast for more in-depth author interviews like this one and visit bpodcast.network.com. To learn about all of our shows uh elizabeth and nancy thanks so much for being on the authority
1: thank you for having us this has been the authority podcast hosted by ross romano edited by gage sanderson